Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, as I said, my name is Pastor Walter. I'm one of the pastors here at Holmes Avenue. I want to thank you guys for joining us and worshiping with us this morning. We'll be continuing in our book study of Acts here in Acts chapter 5. Uh, as we begin, though, as always, I want to make a note that uh, if you feel led to give of your tithes and offerings, you're able to give in person as you exit or online at homesavenue.com forward slash give. As we begin, the title of our sermon is Between Two Worlds. We continue our study of Acts. Uh, if you remember from last week, we had just finished up the first portion of Acts chapter 5, and we're hitting one of the summary statements that Luke provides within the book of Acts. And what we're going to see here is this tension that you and I as Christians live in. We live in a tension in the midst of this world because we, as followers of Christ, are caught between two worlds. And you might say, well, what do you mean, Walter? I don't feel like I'm caught between two worlds. Well, what I mean by that is that ultimately we serve first and foremost the kingdom of heaven, that we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, that as Peter would tell us that we are sojourners or strangers in this world, that we are not of this world. Yet, that's corresponded with this reality that we are physically here in this world, right? That we are physically located in North Charleston, South Carolina, that we have jobs, that we have homes, that we have lives, we have things that keep us being a part of this world. And in the midst of the busyness, of the hecticness, of the difficulty of our lives, we are faced with this balancing act. Are we going to live as citizens of heaven, or are we going to live as citizens of the earth? And in our day-to-day -day lives, we are continually caught between these two worlds, wrestling with how do we live as Christ followers in a world that has different values, different concerns, different things that it would measure as success. And so we are constantly caught in the middle of this. Now, what do we do with that? If we assent, if we recognize that we're caught in between two worlds that were held captive between both of them, what do we do? How do we live as kingdom citizens in an earthly world? Well, I think we'll see some things here in this section of Scripture that express how we're to do that that will show us how we're to live. And ultimately, I would submit to you that every bit of this begins and ends with focusing in on God, who He is, and what He is doing in His world. So if you would, would you stand and look at Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 with me. We'll read this together. In verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, as we read this passage, perhaps we recognize this tension that we're caught in. As we rest in this world of being citizens of heaven, but we live in an earthly kingdom. 
And Father, our prayer as we look at this passage is you'll help us to understand this tension. That you will show us how we're to live in the midst of this tension. That you're to let us see how we are to be Christ followers in this world today. Father, as we look at this passage, would you reveal your truth to us? Would you show us clearly what it is that you're doing in this text and how we're to live today because of it? Father, we are thankful for you. We pray that you reveal your full measure of truth to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you guys may be seated. So as we look at this, the first section of Scripture we want to look at is going to be verses 12 through 14. Our first point is that we're looking at God and the world. We're looking at God and His interaction with the world. Look with me at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were being regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, we need to get some context to remember where we're at. So we just finished up the first portion of chapter 5. And if you recall, we just saw Ananias and Sapphira. They've been judged by God and found wanting. And so they've been killed. They've died by God's judgment. And the church has been struck with great awe and with great fear. That people are talking and they're wondering, who is this God? What is it that he would do to be so jealous over his boundaries? Why would he protect his people? Why would he do things in this way? And then Luke gives us a summary statement here in verses 12 through 16. And it reads just like the summary statements we've seen in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. That Luke tends to do this when the church does something miraculous. He summarizes what is happening. And right here, he's given us this summary of what's going on. And he's telling us that some pretty significant things are happening. It's an easy section to gloss over if you've read through the book of Acts before. You've probably just read this and said, well, that's neat. Luke's telling us what's going on. But I believe that, indeed, if all Scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired, that it comes from God, there's a purpose for which it is written. That it does something for us. It says something to us. And this section, I think, has some encouragement for us. Some things to consider as we're living in this world. You see, we begin with just verse 12, right? And this is an encouraging verse in the midst of this difficult time. You see, the church is still present. That it's endured the early difficulty of persecution. If you remember back in chapter 4 where uh, Peter and John are caught in the temple and they are arrested and they have to go before the high priest... They already have experienced some persecution. We've seen spiritual hypocrisy appear in chapter 5, right? Ananias and Sapphira, whatever their issues were that they were using the church to further their own good and honor. They were trying to get ahead by using the church. And they've so far survived that test. Even more encouraging the fact that the church has just survived. The church is still performing great deeds to the glory of God. You see, these great deeds here that we see described in chapter 12 are signs and wonders. These things are described as signs and wonders. Perhaps the best way we could describe them using language we're familiar with would be miracles. That they are literally, as the text says, performing miracles in the midst of the people. You see, God is doing these things in such a way 
He's doing these things in such a way that he will be the only one who receives glory from this. Now, we know that miracles are happening. Something's going on, signs and wonder. Things are happening so that people can see and look at this and go, this God that they serve, he is different. He is someone that should be paid attention to. So what are they doing, right? What are these signs and wonders? Well, if I can be honest, we don't really know precisely all that was being happen- happening here. As we look in the text, we recognize that we know there are healings taking place. As we see later on in this passage, that they're performing healings. That people who have been lame since birth are being healed. People who are blind are being healed. People who are, who are suffering are being healed. We see people who are afflicted with uh, demons are being healed. We see that things are happening here. We don't know the full gauntlet of what's going on, but we know healings are taking place. And even as we look at the Greek, the Greek for signs and wonders means signs and wonders. I know you're expecting something significant there because I've learned Greek and it's not. It just means signs and wonders, right? It doesn't even give us a clue to what's happening. But really, based upon what Luke is saying, we we know that healing's occurring. Maybe some other things are happening that would be a signal to Israel. Look at the risen Savior. We are Christians. We follow this Jesus who was crucified, dead and buried, and rose again from the grave. Look to him because he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, regardless of what's happening there, it, it can lead us to a natural question when we're looking at this. You see these signs and wonders occurring, and the people of Israel are clearly looking at it and taking notice of it. They're looking at this, so they're recognizing something's happening, and we're forced to confront, we're forced to ask the question of, well, God, why don't you do that here? You know, we could use a little bit of signs and wonders, right? That we could use a little bit of a, of a miracle here in the midst of North Charleston for people to see clearly the work of God, right? That we're asking for something and we're saying, God, why wouldn't you do that here? Well, very simply, I think as we look at this, we recognize that we do indeed see miracles today. You know, first and foremost, we still see miracles of healing occur today. There's a gentleman that I went to high school with. His daughter is at NUSC, has been there for just over 70 days since her birth. And in that time, they've gone from, she's not going to live, she has no chance at survival, to she'll probably have a pretty healthy life. The doctors have done no operations, no procedures. Let me be very clear, I'm not saying they're not taking care of her. But the doctors have done what they can do, and they're literally saying the rest is in the Lord's hands. And here we are, 70 days later, the hole in her heart is gone. Here we are, 70 days later, this child who was premature, who had no chance at survival, has better than even odds at surviving and living a long and healthy life. You see, we do indeed see some miracles occur today. That's just one example. If I went around this room, we would recognize that we've all got stories of people that we've prayed for that have been healed. People that we've prayed for to be delivered from sin. People that we've prayed to be saved and redeemed. We have those stories. We see that God is at work in our world with His power. So indeed, we see miracles occur each and every day. 
However, we're calling a duck a duck, right? We don't often see signs and wonders like is being described here that would be intended to point to God and God alone in our midst, right? That whatever they're talking about here, it's something pretty significant that caught the attention of the people of Israel. Now, why is that? Why don't we have these signs and wonders that are happening in our midst? Why isn't God putting up a giant red flag over Holmes Avenue? Look over here, see what it is that I am doing. Well, as I've looked at this, some theologians would suggest that God is only doing significant things like this at the beginning of a new expansion of the kingdom. As we look back in, in history through the scriptures... Uh, it would show that when we see Genesis begin, there's no miracles that happen in the place of Genesis, right? Nothing we would describe as a miracle occurs in Genesis in that sense. But we do see miracles in Exodus when God is freeing his people and beginning his people to come together. We see when the prophets began with Elijah and Elisha, we see them perform miracles throughout their portions of Scripture. We see Jesus and the apostles perform miracles here. That some theologians would suggest that just at the beginning of a new era in salvation history will God do this to draw attention to the work that he is doing. That's a good answer, but I don't think it's the best answer. And, And here's why. Because I think others have found something that seems to be more significant to what God is doing here. You see, others would suggest that God does miracles like this in places where there is no access to the word of the Lord, where there is no access to the Bible. Maybe you've heard stories of of missionaries describing things like this. We've got a professor who talks about his time as a missionary in Africa, and he and this church group are coming through this village in Africa that he's never been to, and he comes into the village and he hears someone say hello to him in English, and he has this conversation with them, and they begin to talk about the gospel and just his spiritual journey, and this young man comes to faith in the midst of the village, and so they schedule a follow-up, and they're excited about this, and God's done some incredible things as they're walking out of this village. His friend is with him and says, I didn't even know know you knew that language. And my professor looks at him and says, I don't. What are you talking about? He was speaking in English. And his friend looks at him and says, no, you weren't. You didn't speak a word of English there. You were speaking to him in his tongue because none of us understood what was going on. We were amazed at what was happening. You see, in this area, they didn't have a written Bible in their language. And we have this man of God, this professor of mine, who would then say that there's indeed a miracle that occurred in this place where there's no access to the word of the Lord so that this man could see, hear, and respond to the greatness of the name of God. We hear other stories of people in these countries that have no access to the gospel, even having dreams where God is speaking to them and they respond in faith. You see, I would affirm that this is perhaps the most helpful place for us to look and to land, that God is still moving and doing these things, but He's doing it in places that do not have access to the Word of God. You see, the reason God isn't doing that here in this country, in this place, is because we live in an age and a country that has free access to the Word of God and the people of God. 
I did a Google search this morning because I was curious. I found over two dozen organizations that will give you a Bible for free if you reach out to them. Just in a quick Google search, free Bibles. That's not to mention the countless churches that would happily hand you a Bible should you ask. That doesn't include the dozens of apps on our smartphones that have access to a Bible. That doesn't include the hundreds of websites that have the Bible on them. You see, God doesn't necessarily need to do those signs and wonders here because the people here in this country have access to the word of the Lord and to the people of God, that is, the church, people like you and I. We see that perhaps he does do them in areas where there is no access to the word of the Lord, no access to the people of God, no access to the church. But regardless of where we land on that, we recognize that God is doing something special and encouraging here. That in the midst of difficulty and persecution, in the midst of stress and disorder, he's still moving and working in his church. That he's still calling people to himself. He is calling out to the world saying, look at me. I am your creator and I desire to know you. And so in the midst of that, we are encouraged. Now, the section of scripture we're looking at doesn't end there. It continues on into verse 13. And verse 13 gives us a little bit of an interesting thought. Look at verse 13 with us. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. That's an interesting verse as we're looking at this. That We've just recognized that God's doing signs and wonders that are intended to have the people of Israel look to him. Look at me, pay attention, look over at me. And then we hit this verse that says that, frankly, some people are a little nervous about this. They're scared of what they're seeing. And some of these people won't join them. But yet they're held in high esteem. That They're well regarded. Ultimately, we see that the church is present in a temple and the apostles are performing these great signs and wonders. They're intended for people to see Jesus, to see who he is, see what he's doing. And it's this section that really inspired the title Between Two Worlds, that really focused in on where we want to go today. Because quite simply, right here, we see people who have gathered together who are caught between two worlds. We see people who are gathered together who are caught between two worlds. On one hand, they're afraid of the church. As we look at this, that they are afraid of the people of God. You see, the early church is intimidating and unnerving to them. It seems to create a sense of alienation, the sense of isolation. This is a group of people they're afraid of because they're saying, one, there's great social cost to me if I join. If I become a Christian, I'm no longer associated with my religious background, with these people that I know. They will no longer look at me as one of them, but as an outsider. And two, they're recognizing there may be more of a significant cost like my life. Because we're right on the heels of Ananias and Sapphira and they are going, if I join them... Will I die? Will I lose my life? You see, the people who are here, they see that the church is not a country club or a holy hangout. Rather, it's a place of real holy business. 
Now, that's on one hand, right? On the other side, the church is very well regarded here. That it says that they are held in high esteem, that we can translate that as respected or honored. That these people are saying, I'm kind of afraid of those crazy guys. But there's something compelling about them. There's something interesting. They are different than everyone else, and they've shown me grace and kindness that I frankly haven't found anywhere else. So what do we do with this tension there? Right? What is the average person in Israel supposed to do with this tension? Where do we go? What do we do? How do we respond? Well, I think we have to understand something about just human sinfulness. You know, maybe you remember some of my remarks about this in chapter 4 from a few weeks ago, but ultimately what I said is that human sin will always desire to turn away from the things of God. That unrepentant sin will lead us away from God ten times out of ten. You see, it will lead us to even be irrational and deny all things of Christ, even if the evidence demands a different response. You see, when human sinfulness encounters the presence of the Lord in the church, it desires to stay away. You see, that's that tension that the people of Israel are caught in. They say that I don't dare join this group because of my own sinfulness is pulling me away. Yet, because we are made in the image of God, we are compelled, we are drawn to the church when we see the presence of God. You see, the true church... A church that is marked by the presence of God is compelling even to the enemies of God. A church that is marked by the presence of God is compelling even to the enemies of God. So what does the presence of the Lord look like? What does the presence of God look like? How indeed do we experience this? Well, I I think that An answer can be found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. You see, as Paul writes these verses, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When we behave like Jesus, people want to experience that community. When we behave like Jesus... People want to be a part of that family. And as Paul's writing here, he is telling us very clearly that if you are going to experience the presence of God, it is going to be because you are living like Christ. It is going to be because you have received these things and you are practicing them. And if you're practicing these things, then the God of peace will be with you. You see, almost every Sunday, 
I or Pastor Brian stand up here and we pray for the presence of the Lord to be upon us. We pray for the Spirit to move and to shape us and to change us. And our prayer will be in naught if we are not practicing these things. Because the Lord will not go where He is not welcome. And if indeed we are living our lives in a way that is contrary to these things in verse 8, the Lord will not let us experience His presence. When we behave like Jesus, people want to experience that community. Verse 14 shows us the result of living like Jesus. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You see, despite the tensions and the cost of joining the church, more believers were being added to the body. Despite the fact that it would cost them everything, that many of these men and women would perhaps die for their faith. They're coming to this compelling community. They're coming to this people who are exhibiting the things that are found in Philippians 4.8 and practicing these things because they would say that what I see is beautiful and good. And if this is what the God of the universe is doing in your life, then I desperately want this in mine. If you're wondering what we should do with this, how we as believers should respond, let's just rest on this idea for a minute. We've got homecoming next week. We're going to celebrate 75 years of ministry here. What a beautiful thing, right? What a beautiful thing to have a gospel presence here for 75 years. And I'll be very honest, we're praying for 75 more years. Am I right? We're praying for God to do something so miraculous that He would sustain us for 75 years. God, would you do another miracle and sustain us for another 75? Yet here's the truth of what we see here. If we're not serious about experiencing the presence of God, as described in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, we are not going to have 75 more years. This isn't a comment about our size or our age or anything like that. But rather, this is a comment about our spiritual health as individuals walking with God. Because the truth is that a church... A faith family is made up of individual believers who are walking with the Lord in community. And simply put, if we as individuals are not committed to being proactive in our faith, to working towards the things of Christ, to living in accordance with Him and His will, we will not see 75 more years. Are you committed to encountering the God of the Bible Daily with the Word. And living as the Word of God would call you to live. Are you committed to encountering God daily with the Word? And living as the Word of God would call you to live. Because simply put, 
that if you want to see one more week of prosperity, let alone 75 more years of prosperity, it begins and ends with us putting our focus on Jesus and committing to run our race with endurance with Him. That if we're going to persevere in life, death, whatever may come, it will be by proactively looking to Jesus and walking with Him daily. And so I ask this question of you quite simply. Are you passive in your faith, sitting and waiting for blessing to come? Or are you proactively pursuing the word of the Lord so that you might see, hear, and respond to the goodness of His grace day in and day out? The result of the church Living and doing this is what we see in Acts 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Our hope and our prayer here is that in experiencing the presence of God, in encountering the goodness of His grace on a daily basis, we would be transformed, we would be changed, and what would be shaped would be a compelling community of people who would see, hear, and respond to the glory of God's name. Our prayer is that verse 14 would occur, but it doesn't occur if we don't live out Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Now, in the midst of this, this is to cause us to focus in on God and the world, what he is doing in the world. Now, he's doing something that is more important than just his ministering to us, that he's bringing the gospel to bear in the world. And in verse 15, we see God and the gospel be made known. Verse 15 reads, So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In verse 15, we see the gospel of Jesus being displayed in an earthly fashion. You see, healings are occurring each and every day. The people are so confident that the apostles can help their loved ones that they're lining up the streets with the sick and the ill. They believe that there is so much power to be found, so much power to be present within the apostles, that they believe that the mere shadow of Peter falling upon them is enough to heal. Can we not just sit in awe of the faith that the gathered people have in the power of the Holy Spirit? That they look upon these men and women and they say there is power that is present among them. There is so much power that just the shadow of one of these men falling upon me might be enough to heal. What kind of world would we live in if we as individual believers, as a faith family, could recapture that power, right? If we could live in such a world that the world would look upon us and say, just their mere presence, just the mere presence of the church will make things right. What a beautiful image for us to consider. Now the truth is that these healings are an incredible thing. Yet, 
these healings were only a means to an end. You see, the end result of this, the point of God performing these miracles, these healings, is not just to heal people physically. You see, the end result of this is that people would be converted to faith in the gospel of God. They would trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, the work of God here is that the people would experience the greatest miracle of all. That is, the miracle of salvation. You see, this is the mirror of the healing that is needed by all people through the gospel. All people need not just physical healing, but they need spiritual healing. If we take the word of the Lord at its, at its best, at its measure, and we look to verses like Ephesians chapter 2, where it tells us that we are held captive in our sin and shame, that we are held captivity by our sin, that we are in active rebellion against God before Christ, all of the world needs healing. And the apostles are doing this great work, not just for earthly blessing for the people, but for heavenly security for these people. Simply put, this is why we do things like the spaghetti dinner and the food bank. We absolutely want to care for people's earthly needs. But I know that Ed would tell you first and foremost that if all we've done is given out dinners and we haven't proclaimed the goodness of the gospel, we haven't done anything. That if people do not have access to the people of God and the power of the gospel through receiving that spaghetti meal, we have done nothing. That if we are concerned with only their earthly needs, then we neglect their eternal destinies. You see, our prayer when we do things like this is that by caring for their earthly needs, that this would give us opportunity to care for their spiritual needs. Over the last year, you just don't know how privileged I am to have so many opportunities to pray with people and share the gospel at our spaghetti dinners. That people drive through and they're so grateful to receive this meal. And it's a great meal, right? You've had this spaghetti. It's good. But when people come through, there's this loosening of the facade. And they're willing to be vulnerable and say, in the midst of you serving me, things aren't okay, right? Times are tough. I'm struggling. I'm experiencing difficulty and hardship. There are things that I need someone to pray for me. And then we pray for them on the spot. We've shared the gospel with dozens of people. That we've been able to serve so many people. This is why we do what we do. You see, this work is at the heart of the gospel message. Many of you are probably familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came to die for you and I. So that we could experience the free gift of grace through our repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. You see, God is concerned about his gospel going forth into the world. That he's placed us in this world in the midst of this tension so that we might be his witnesses. So that we might experience power when witnessing to people so that they could see, hear, and respond to the goodness of his name. 
Now, finally, we see here that God is concerned about his mission as well. Look at verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted of unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You see here in verse 16, we see God's mission being displayed for us. The purpose of the church is to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus to every man, woman, and child we encounter. You see, we want to see our community saturated with the gospel of Jesus, transforming every life. We see that being displayed here. The church is doing such incredible works that people from all over are coming to see it. That people from all around Jerusalem are coming to see this work of God. They don't necessarily understand everything about what's happening. But they know that this group of people are unique and different. This group of people that are coming, they have many different needs. We know that there is sickness. We know that there is affliction by unclean spirits. There are probably many other things that are affecting these people that they need help. And what we see here is that the church is shown to be a hospital for sinners. You see, people who are broken and tired can find rest here. People who are condemned by sin can find forgiveness here. People who are held in bondage can find freedom here. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a place of rest for sinners to find hope and peace in the midst of this world. This is the mission of the church. That we, the people of God, would live in this tension between God and the world. Proclaiming the goodness of God and his gospel. This is the mission that God has given us. As I looked at this section of scripture, and in particular this portion, verse 16... I was reminded of the words of Sam Shoemaker and some of his comments on our role in this mission. Sam Shoemaker was an Episcopal priest who was very influential within the work of Alcoholics Anonymous. That much of his pastoral theology shaped the early years of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we really see some of the influence remaining today within the ministry that Alcoholics Anonymous has. You see, he wrote a poem during his pastoral tenure titled, I Stand at the Door. I want to read just a few words from it because I think they capture the spirit of what Luke was describing here for us. You see, the words, the opening lines of this poem is, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is a door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when there are so many still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be.
They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. I think that Reverend Shoemaker succinctly found what it is the mission of the church is. What it is the role of individual believers is within the mission of God. That we stand at the door for people to encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. And they do not know where the door is unless we proclaim to them, the door is here and its name is Jesus. That we see in this world people groping along the wall trying to find something that will bring them joy. Something that will anchor them. Something that would give them hope and meaning and significance. Yet what they encounter is a cold stone wall. And our position as Christians is to be the one who not only stands by the door proclaiming, here it is, here is the way to salvation, but to walk down that wall, take them by the hand, and walk them to the door, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, whom through him they can have forgiveness of sin, life eternal, and hope and peace for eternity. You see, as we celebrate 75 years of ministry next week, what we are celebrating is 75 years of helping people find the door of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 75 years of helping people encounter Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that we experience 75 more years of helping people encounter Jesus. My hope and prayer for you today is that you've encountered Jesus. Maybe you're here and maybe you're at the wall and you're not sure where the door is. Well, let me be clear. I'm standing by the door clearly proclaiming, here it is. Here is the way to enter in. You come in through Jesus and Jesus alone. You come in by confessing your sin, by repenting of it, turning away from your sin and looking to Jesus sitting on the throne. Maybe you're already inside and you're wandering back out the entrance thinking that I'm slipping, I'm sliding, and I can't help myself. Well, today is the day to repent and trust in Jesus and to turn away from your sin. Maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know who to talk to. You see the link on your screen, homesavenue.com forward slash contact. Reach out to us. Let us know what God is doing in your life so that we can care for you and shepherd you through this time. You see, today, simply put, I would ask you, do you know where the door is? Do you know who the door is? You see, the door is Jesus. And he's the only way that you and I can experience eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and to see 
our lives be filled with hope and joy. And so today I would simply ask you, have you encountered the door? If you haven't, I'll be right up here. Would love to hear what God is doing in your life and help you find the door so that you may experience the grace of God today. If I could, could I lead us in prayer as our worship team comes forth? Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for you today. As we've studied this passage of Scripture, we have seen just the beauty of the gospel, of how you have just made a way where there was no way so that people might see, hear, and respond to the glory of your name. That you would use signs and wonders even when there is not Scripture available readily, perhaps, Lord, that you would do miraculous things so that people might see, hear, and respond to your name. Father, what a beautiful picture. There are no boundaries too far, that there is no place that we can go, that the grace of God cannot reach us. And so, Father, it is that encouragement, with that encouragement, we come to you, Lord. We simply come before you, Father, and we cry out that we know the way to go. That we must go through the door. We must go to Jesus to have access to you. So, Father, it is with that confidence we pray that you would forgive us. It is with that assurance of trust in you that we rest that we look to you and call out to our God who is moving and working in this world. Father, we know where the door is. We know who he is. And we simply ask that you put our hand upon the doorknob and let us in. Let us come and receive the full grace of God that is found through Jesus Christ by forgiving Forgetting the ways that we have walked and pursuing forgiveness. Lord, we pray that even now the Spirit would work in our hearts and minds. Make us receptive to the Word. And lead us to repent before you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.